the Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, John. You know that. Yay, Tom! <laughs> I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Tom, easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, oh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mr. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Joe Napoti, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody, as we roll into the third half of our three-hour tour known as the Tom Sumner Program. I guess this hour is an award-winning author with a uh, new book, um, Cairn, Mates of the Alliance, Book One, and we're going to find out all about that from the author Fionn Fox Faraday. Fionn, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Tom. Um, let let me ask. I, I'm not sure that I'm pronouncing this right. Is it Karen? Yes, it's Karen. Okay. And um, Mates of the Alliance, book one. Um, is this the beginning of a series? Yes, it is. It started off actually as one book, but I've been using it as therapy. And it, <laughs> and, yeah. And you <laughs> needed more therapy. therapy. Hey, it's free therapy, so I apparently need a lot of therapy because I am currently on the first third of book nine. Wow, really? Um, yeah. You know, it's it's interesting because I ask a lot of people who have written um, either trilogies or series, uh, sequential books, if they get to the end of the first one and think, but wait, there's more. Pretty much. Uh, some of the secondary characters sort of sat up and paid attention and said, look over here, you need to, you need to write about us, we've got a story to tell. And they were very, very persistent, so it's like, okay. Well, yeah. then that, that raises another question I like to ask writers, because I'm fascinated by the creative process. Do you, um, do you come up with characters and then tell stories of things that are likely to happen to them or do you come up with a story first and then cast the characters like a movie it's actually a little bit of both it depends on what comes first uh the characters came first for book one and this then also book two book three actually the character i think the characters pretty much declare themselves and then i kind of write the story around them there have been a book or two no, you're right. I think it's all the characters. They kind of want to tell their own story. So they and then they build the story around them. And and do they do they do that um when you write, do you have an outline um you know, are are you really disciplined in that way or do you sort of just start writing and telling a story and and do the characters sometimes whisper in your ear where it's going next? Well, you know, I tried doing an outline, and it did not flow right. 
It just didn't fit. So I just started writing more spontaneously off the cuff, and that the story flowed a lot better, and it seemed more natural. Uh, somebody asked uh, Stephen King this question. Um, it wasn't me, unfortunately, but uh, <laughs> it was, uh, do you write to um, a muse or a schedule? And he said, no, always to the muse. But fortunately, the muse shows up every morning at 9 o'clock. <laughs> How does it work? I, yeah, I love that That. That's good, yeah. But, but how does it work for you? Do you set aside time and say, I'm going to, you know, attempt to accomplish this much in, in this amount of time, or do you just binge write? It's uh, more binge writing because it's almost a compulsion at this point. I used to be a really avid reader, and I still read a good bit, but it's more, it's, I'd rather write than read these days. And if I don't write at least a little bit every night, it's almost like an itch that I haven't scratched. And it kind of like nibbles at your brain a bit. And you're like, okay, I guess I'll turn the light back on and do something because I'm not going to get to sleep. Where do the ideas uh, for the story and ultimately stories that you're, you're telling in this series come from? I wanted to write complete fiction because the last couple of years, as we all know, have been very rough. And I wanted to be able to give people happy endings because we had a shortage of those for quite a while. So I figured uh, science fiction romance would be a wonderful escape for me and for hopefully for anybody who wanted to read the book. And I wanted happy endings. And this way, you know, your imagination can completely take flight and... I left a lot of the descriptions for the characters uh, not particularly detailed so people could use their imagination, and I wanted it to be an escape. Do you, um, now you say a happy ending. A lot of people that write sci-fi tend to want to set it in a very dystopian environment. Um, oh, there's that, but the main characters, you know, fall in love, and they're at least happily ever after for now for each book. And it's a story arc that kind of follows through the entire series of what's going on with the, their, their enemies and what's going on with the Earth. What, what made you pick sci-fi? I've been a sci-fi addict since I was a kid. I love Star Trek. I think Gene Roddenberry <laughs> was amazing. I saw him. I saw him speak once. Did you really? That must have been amazing. It was. It was um, in in. It was at a little theater in Detroit, and they showed uh, the original Star Trek pilot. Oh, yeah. And um, Star Trek bloopers. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and then Gene Roddenberry spoke for a little bit, and they had a little uh, a little card table set up in the lobby of the theater um, with Star Trek merch. Oh my gosh! And it was just—I mean, there was there was like a television remote control that looked like a phaser, and you know, wow. just just a couple odds and ends. Another another version of the phaser that was a squirt gun, and. Um, and it was it predated the the conventions. Mm, mm -hmm. 
that must that that must have been just incredible. But Roddenberry was was fascinating to hear speak and to talk about the development of Star Trek and what you know what came behind it and what he'd learned and and some of the thoughts that he'd um, had evolved during the making of the series and the conversations that he had with people. It was it was it was really quite fascinating and I think a lot of people that appreciate Star Trek or science fiction were really infected and got the bug from Star Trek. Well, it was ahead of its time. You know, it was all about, you know, uh, a lot racial equality and, you know, di- different species from other solar systems. And they all got along, well, at least on the Enterprise, they got along. And it was, uh, you know, a forerunner, I think, of what we see now. And we still have some work to do, but, you know, it's something to aspire to. You know, the, the, the idea of, you know, people working together to a common goal and improving, sort of like a rising tide raises all boats. Well, and, you know, it was interesting that, you know, you could take all those issues um, and, and, you know, there, there was... Um, Oh, any any number of social ills, uh, mm-hmm. racism, of course, uh, gender issues, um, you know, all all kinds of um, contemporary issues, but you plant them with people on a starship, two hundred, four hundred years in the future. And they're less threatening, and you you have a lot more freedom to talk about those issues and lay those things uh-huh. out. Mm-hmm. And and um, you know, I had a chance to talk with um, Rod Serling's daughter Anne when oh. she came out with her book. Mm-hmm. And Rod Serling did the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know, if you make it, you know, all about what goes on in this 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 weird place called the Twilight Zone. It's not as threatening, so you can talk about whatever you want, criminal justice, uh, the death penalty, you know, any of these things that might be controversial. Yeah, it makes people think. It gives, it makes people think without threatening the way they already think. Yes. Which yeah. is, which is kind of interesting and, and one of the real benefits to sci-fi. Um, once this this got started now how is it that you're already um part way through book nine and we're just now hearing about book one um it took a while to get it published and uh basically i just i keep writing just as a way to keep myself sane basically and it's it's a good way to relieve stress uh, the book's been it was re- initially released in paperback form, and then I wanted to revise it because I didn't like it quite, and I wanted to add to it, so it was re-released in May. And in the meanwhile, after the, well, that was in process because it took a couple months, of course, to get the publisher and all of the things lined up. I kept writing. Are you able to write full time? No, I, I I write when I get home after work, and I write on weekends. 
and on time off. That's got to be rough. Is that is that something you are are working toward getting to a point where you can write full time, or would you always want to be doing something else? I think it's I I don't know that I could give up what I do right now completely because it it is still very enjoyable. It's still a challenge. It still stimulates my mind, but at the same time, the writing gives me a, it helps. It, comp- it balances the stress of the job to write. So I'd like to do both. Um, Fionn, do you have kids? I do. I have two, and I have four grandkids. That's wild. I, I remember uh, talking with um, Mary Higgins Clark, and in the early days of her writing, she talked about having young children at home, and um, and basically being a single mom, and, and so she had to work full-time, she had to get kids off to school, and she would get up some ridiculous hour, 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning, and write for a couple hours every day. Wow, that takes discipline. Yeah, just just to, to get it going in the beginning, and then, um, you know, of course, that all changed when she started churning out best-selling books. But, yeah. <laughs> um, but that's one of the things that that I find interesting is is how you're able to turn everything else in your life off to get yourself in that world and right in that in that is it like being in a bubble to some degree and uh, my kids are of course out of the house they're grown with yeah. with families of their own but I have uh, fur babies. About a pack of nine dogs, two cats, uh, three donkeys, and about seven cows. So uh, I I have a ranch hand, thankfully, who takes care of the larger animals, but I take care of the the dogs and the cats, and that takes me a good bit in the morning and the evening, and they come into play in the books. They're, I really do have a Molly, who's a, the dog in the book. Now, I... You must live on a on a ranch or a farm. You you it, you don't have an apartment in Manhattan, I take it. Oh, my neighbors would hate me, wouldn't they? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I have a farm of about fifty something acres, and I have a couple dogs that like to run the hills, and it takes them a couple hours to come back sometimes. Well, that's great, and and probably very conducive to writing, despite the chores and, and your other work. Yes, because it, you get into, it's a completely different, of course, environment than working in the hospital. So it's a disconnect from the hospital for sure. And it, it you know, after I spend time with the puppies and the cows and the donkeys, you're very relaxed. And it's a perfect time to write. And it, and I'm a night owl, so I tend to write at night. Well, Fionn, I have to take a short break here, but I'd love to talk with you some more about your uh, your book and and some of your future books and writing can you stick around for a few minutes truly thank you okay we're going to let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break they are wfov 92.1 lpfm flint and uh, if you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well so don't touch that dial don't click that mouse there's more with Fionn Fox Faraday, straight ahead. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annan. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. Hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? Mm. It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi. .gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection.
Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue our conversation with the author of a new book called Cairn, Mates of the Alliance, Book One. It is the beginning of a series, which we have reason to believe will be at least nine volumes long. <laughs> the author's name is uh, Fionn Fox Faraday, who joins me by phone. Fionn, uh, welcome back, and thanks for sticking around. Sorry to make you sit through all that. No, it was very interesting, actually. <laughs> well, good, good. Um, let's get back into this. Um, how much of the writing of um, this book and, and the subsequent follow-ups happened during... Um, pandemic uh, lockdown or quarantine? Well, actually, uh, it started right around the time of COVID that I started writing. I had a bit of a medical scare back in March of 20, and I was put on uh, enforced no-call, no-call responsibilities for six weeks and off for two weeks. And I sort of ran out of things to do. I read all of the books on my to-be-read list. I watched TV. I started going stir-crazy, so I started to write. And then when I came back, it was just when COVID was getting going. And I started writing to cope with the stress. Because we, you know, we, at the time, and we're a little better now, but we didn't have much to really offer, unfortunately, back then. And we lost way too many patients. And I wanted to be able to give um, myself and actually a lot of my coworkers a happy ending, something to look forward to, some hope. Because... There was so much stress and so much burnout going on. And you were working in the ICU, and, and that's amazing because you were considered, of course, essential personnel in, in, those, uh, in those days, especially the early days of uh, mm -hmm. COVID-19. And I've talked to so many writers, Fionn. And am I saying that right, Fionn? Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. I've talked to so many writers, and it's different from writer to writer as to whether they were really productive and that that was kind of a silver lining of the pandemic, and some who were just like a deer in the headlights, and, and they look back and say, you know, I could have knocked out a couple of books if, you know, if I'd have just applied myself a little bit. And some of these are, you know, very successful writers that I've talked to, and, um, you know, it, it's it's just interesting the the different ways that that people used their time or didn't. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, it was e it was hard to leave work at work, so I wanted to distract myself, and writing was a really good distraction because I could just escape into a different world, so to speak. Now, how much of uh, what you do working uh, in the in the healthcare field makes its way into your books. A good bit of it does because uh, the initial one of the early scenes in Karen is uh, the aftermath of the attack by the uh, enemy aliens, and there's there are a ton of um, casualties who come in. And they need to, uh, their, their trauma cases, their inhalation, their fresh injuries, and a lot of them end up on the ventilator in the ICU. And one of the things that I remember, and I use this in a quote, is one of my best friends was in 
And she said that, you know, everybody showed up at the ERs, all of the, all the healthcare staff, hoping for patients, and there weren't any. Or there weren't as, as many as they hoped for. Oh, man. Yeah. And at least, in, you know, because this is fiction, it's like there were a lot of patients that were rescued in part because of the, the, the good aliens, quote-unquote, the heroes, who were on search of rescue teams and taking people out, basically, and bringing them in. Now, when you're writing science fiction, and, and I talk to people who do high fantasy fiction sometimes and, and ask a similar question, but through modern advancement of technology and the introduction of life from other planets, mm-hmm. um, do you have to... Are you inventing a world of your own, and, and what rules do you use to govern those that world? Uh, it, it is kind of inventing a world of their of my own. I wish there really we really did have some of these medical tech that they have that I read about in these books. And the interesting thing is, I'm starting to talk about these characters as if they're real people, because I <laughs> say him and her, but um, their their tech is amazing. But uh, some of the rules that are interesting is that you know physiology and physics still apply. So there's a scene where their tech isn't enough, and uh, the, ma- the main female character has to resort to just, you know, old-fashioned bedside or basically battlefield medicine to uh, save someone's life. Because even their tech wasn't able to do that. And it's sort of also, a, you know, a, a cautionary tale that tech is wonderful, but sometimes, you know, you can rely on it too much. Well, that's true. I, I know that feeling. Um, what now? Since you are working on book nine, that presupposes that there are eight books sitting there waiting to be published. Yeah. Is there <laughs> is is there is there a timeline when you're when you're this far ahead? Mm-hmm. Is there a timeline for the release of you know book two, book three, and so on? Well, I've spoken with my publisher, and she wants to do it on about a every six-month basis or so. And uh, part of the thing that I have to talk about her with is Karen is the, the first in the series. It's also the shortest in the series. And the other books are about nearly double or sometimes more than double the length. So there's that, too, because these books are going to be doorstoppers. Or or coffee table books. <laughs> exactly. I always and joke. I always joke with people at at National Geographic that have these gigantic, you know, books, the picture mm-hmm. books. That the reason they call them coffee table books is if you put legs on them, they could be coffee tables. Yes. Yes. Definitely. <laughs> but a lot of publishers. And and they come by this because of their experience with readers. Mm-hmm. Um, tend to not like books that are lengthy. Yes, and she's told me that, and I've tried to split the latter ones that I've been writing since I've uh, signed with her. But the first, the second book is about eh, I think it's about double the length, and I ran it by a couple of um, people, and they said, you know, actually it reads very well. I wouldn't split it. Well, how how long is uh, is Karen, for example, um, made to book one? It's about fifty four thousand words or so, which is about two hundred and twenty some word pages, 
And the next book, if I remember correctly, is about 105,000 words. So, yeah, that, 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 that seems like you're probably okay there, but, but 220 pages is probably about what publishers would be looking for. Yeah, and part of it is that the print's very big, so the 223 pages are very short pages. Do you have an audience in mind that you're writing to when you're writing these stories and, and now that they're, they're coming out in book form? Um, I think people who like science fiction and uh, science fiction romance, science fiction fantasy, uh, people who like the movie The Shape of Water, or, uh-huh. yeah, or say like Ruby Dixon's Blue Barbarian series, might, like, might enjoy this, I think. Those are the those are the books that I was reading and the movies that I watch. And and who are some of the writers that that inspire you? Do you think you've your writing has been informed by any writers in particular? This is a very it's an author that's back from the 1960s. Her name is Narina Hilliard. She died very young from breast cancer, unfortunately. I think in her late 20s. She only wrote a couple of books, but they were. Of course, you know, for the time, and they're very, they're conservative, but they were, the, the, you could feel the magnetism between the main characters, and the trust, and the intimacy between them, and that's saying a lot for a book from the 1960s. And of course, I, I enjoy Ruby Dixon a lot, and uh, that's what I was reading for Escapism before I started writing. And and then when you started writing, um, it it sounds like you you sat down to write a book. Yes. Now that you've finished eight books, <laughs> and, and there's a ninth on the way, um, with these, um, are, are they? Could they be taken as standalone books, or are they sequential? Do you, do you have a cliffhanger at the end of Mates of the Alliance, uh, book one, and, and you can't wait to get to book two to see what happens? They all could technically stand alone, because the story of the main characters is told in each book, but it also leads, it, the epilogues lead to the next book. Except for one. There's one book that just stands alone because these two characters have been uh, really contributing secondary characters since book, let me think, three. And they kept popping up. And after a while, it's like, well, you know, how did they get together and what is their story? And it kept, they kept going, you know, are you ever going to tell our story? Your own book, six. Can we have one? <laughs> so, it's after, so basically, they're the two human characters in this series so far. Now, with these, um, with these different characters that you have and so on, how much of your writing, I mean, do you consider your writing to be very visual? I think so, but I, it leaves a lot for people's imaginations to color in. It, it draws broad strokes, but then you have to fill in the, more of the details because it gives you room to have just like let your imagination take wing. It's very descriptive for like the settings and their feelings, but not as it gives you broad ideas of what they look like. I know a lot of writers are are 
always somewhat happy if if a film company or a television production company options one of their books and and they're always happy to see their stories made into uh, tv or motion pictures um would you like to see that happen with these stories or not well uh it's interesting you ask that question because the karen's being written converted into a screenplay as we speak really Mm -hmm. early days yet they think they just they read the book and they're working on the first uh couple of scenes or acts i think they call them yeah, so there, so there is already interest in bringing these characters to life. I, it, it actually, I, this is a different world for me because I've been in medicine for, oh gosh, <laughs> 25 years or so, more than that, if you count training. And this just took me by surprise. It's, it's been an exciting, crazy, exhilarating ride. And a real learning process, I would think. Oh, it's a completely different world. Um, yeah. Is it is it going to now? I, it's so interesting that you've written so many books already, um, because a lot of times people learn about writing and editing and publishing and all of that with a first book before they begin adding mm-hmm. books to it, and and there's a kind of a learning process that goes on. Um, is there much to change in in was there much to change in book one from when you finished it to the published version? Uh, part of it was uh, the editing process initially because they're the the uh, Karen is an alien, so he has two hearts. And when they did the editing, they changed it's plural, it's hearts. They changed every one of those to singular. So I had. I didn't realize it until I read the initial proof, and I had to go back and change everything. And then, and I've learned that you have to put on a kind of like a four-page or forward saying, you know, this is how this is on purpose. This is deliberate. This is how it needs to be. And they have yes, they have tails and claws and fangs. And two hearts. Yes, very much. (laughs) Yeah. Interesting. Mm Hmm. It was actually a relief when I wrote, a, not a relief, but it was actually, uh, I got lazy almost because uh, after the book about the two human characters, because I didn't have to remember to say hearts with an S or singular if it was the human character. It was just all, just one heart. It was actually kind of comical. It's like, well, this is, this is a little easier to write. <laughs> Writing regular people. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, not have to worry about the tails and the fangs and the claws. <laughs> will you stay with this series going forward, or is there anything pulling at you to steer away from this now that you're, you know, nine books into it, or will you continue? Well, I, down that you know, path? yeah. Initially, it was just supposed to be about Karen and his crew, and <clears throat> it has sort of branched out because some other. Secondary characters kind of sat up, paid attention, and said, "Uh, uh, uh, nope, nope. I need to tell you need to talk about me too. So, I need to tell my story. So, for I still have a couple more characters to write about, and then we'll see after that. And every time I say that, uh, another secondary character in another book kind of goes, 
but I want to talk about this too. And you need to tell me, you know, what's going to happen with me. I want a happy ending too. Uh, book three really was not supposed to be about the character it's about. He just kind of was so, uh, he just stole so many scenes. He was so endearing that it's like, okay, you've got to be in book three. And I've got to find somebody who's going to be able to match you. Fionn, um, do you have um, a website where people can learn more about you and uh, the world of, of Cairn? And oh, yes. It's uh, matesofthealliancenospaces.com. And how come it's Mates of the Alliance and not friends of the alliance or <laughs> ah okay and basically the characters and the male characters that are warriors and they're war weary they've been fighting the evil empire that attacked earth for generations probably now and they are looking for their mate and they it's a very rare thing and none of them ever expect to find one and when they do, it's basically the softness, the gentleness, the love and affection that they never expected to find. So it's their, and it's, um, when they say mate, it's, it, it's basically a lifelong commitment. It is complete fidelity, loyalty, dedication, and that's why it's mates of the Alliance. Well, Fionn, thanks so much for spending this time with me and the listeners this morning, and, and uh, I, I, I wish you tremendous success with this book mates of the alliance book one and the uh, other are, are the, do you consider them all cairn books um no i consider them all mates of the alliance books because cairn uh. now all of the characters pop up in book then later books so you get to see what how their how the relationship is going and you know are they going to have kids that kind of thing and also the animal characters uh, pop up in later books also. You get a little follow-up on everybody. Well, thanks again for spending this time with me, and uh, by all means, keep up the good work. Well, thank you. This has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on your show. All right. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. That was uh, Fionn Fox Faraday, the award-winning author um, of a new series just coming out um called Mates of the Alliance, and uh, Cairn, book one, is uh, out already with several other books planned and uh, on the way. And with that, we'll have more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead. my hands I don't touch my face I stay at home shelter in place social distance don't go to work I wear a mask and gloves I stay away from church 
should I sneeze? Either it in my elbow or up my sleeve. Six feet apart. can go back to school I'm washing my hands like a raccoon with OCD I've watched Hulu, Roku, Netflix, PBS and the BBC I've taken down all my mirrors and I'm sick of what I see of quarantine will be the death of me the death of me I risk a trip to the grocery store to buy a teepee and a few things more but when I get there all I can find honey buns and some mad dog wine I'm washing my hands like a raccoon with OCD I've watched Hulu, Roku Netflix, PBS and the BBC I've taken down all my mirrors cause I'm sick of what I see So this quarantine's gonna be the death of me. The death of me. You know, they say this is war. But we don't have to storm Omaha Beach or Porkchop Hill. And we just lay here on the couch and watch TV. Whew, I'd rather volunteer for a high-risk commando raid to parachute into Wuhan and find that little fellow that ordered that bad soup. I know I'm talking out of my head, saying crazy stuff over and over like, yes, dear, yes, dear. At breakfast, I meant to say, honey, please pass me the pepper. Well, what slipped out was, you crazy woman, you've ruined my life. <laughs> of course, I immediately apologized as <laughs> soon as I regained consciousness. Fashion Radio For a new generation Tom Sumner Program.com Tom Sumner Program.com Tom Sumner Program.com And guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now. 
and now, and now too, and even now. It's 2022, and this year the Tom Sumner Program begins its 15th year. It would not be here without support through the years from individuals and organizations like these. Seth David Radwell. East Village Magazine. Flint Institute of Music. Hello, I'm Maestro Ricky DeMeg. Flint Community Schools. MTA Flint. Flint Comics and Entertainment. Hamity Complete Food Center. The Flint River Watershed Coalition. W.H. Weiscarver. The Genesee County Road Commission. Long Museum Auto Fair. Thomas Appliance. The Genesee Health Plan, Flipflip Technology, My Community College, it's Pure Michigan. Friends on Facebook have also helped by contributing to the show's online fundraisers two or three times a year. If you would like to help the Tom Sumner program continue to thrive by becoming a sponsor, send an email of interest to Tom at TomSumnerProgram.com. Add your name to the list of supporters, past, present, and future. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans, and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, to hug her and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Rangers Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Do you ever feel like you need an attitude adjustment? Are you wishing there was a magic pill or a new app for your mobile device? Why don't you try live local music? Music can make you dance, bring back fond memories, inspire you to be more creative, whether you attend a child's school concert or recital, go to a local symphony concert, Visit local bars and restaurants that feature dance music, sing-along piano, or jazz and blues. Music could be just what you're looking for. Supporting live local music is more than a way to support your local artists and economy. It's a great way to improve your own quality of life. Support live local music. This message is brought to you from the Tom It's Dana. Dana? Something must be wrong. She never calls. Dana? What's wrong? Take this down. She's stranded on the side of the road. I'm not. She needs us to send her an Amazon gift card. I don't. And she'll use it to pay the tow truck driver. I won't. Mom, Dad, that's not me. It's a scam. Scam artists will call, text, or email people trying to get them to buy a gift card from Amazon or some other company. And then ask for the gift card number over the phone. 
Remember, gift cards are for gifting, not for paying people. If someone asks for payment using a gift card from Amazon, Target, or some other store, it's a scam. Hang up or delete the message. These scammers are awful. Wish they'd pretend to be her brother sometimes. Be nice to hear from him. For more tips on avoiding scams, visit michigan.gov slash AG for your connection to consumer protection. I get the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. All the Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen. In the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. Oh, great lovers of the world, lend me thy ears. Where has love wrought? <laughs> love has wrought beauty. Love is the world. The world is love. And the great lovers of the world have made the earth a very precious beautiful and lovely place. Where is the love? Tell me. It's it's there. It's there. (laughs) Oh, where is the love? It's there. Where is the love? It's there. Do you know where the love is? It's there, Tom. It's all around you. Love is everywhere. Love is ever-changing, ever-growing, ever-moving. Love is passionate. It is flowing. It is sweet. It is wonderful. Love is compassion. Love is... Love is God. This is a song of two lovers. Right. Not world-famous lovers. Not a Romeo and Juliet. Not that type of a love. But two people whose love was an unrequited love. Unrequited love. Very beautiful love. A love that very few people ever hear of. It's a story of Herman and Sally. You've heard of them, huh? Herman was a lobster. And Sally was a crab. Never work out that way, will it? <laughs> Herman met Sally on the beach one night. The sea was calm and the starfish were bright. He looked at her and she looked at him, and it was true love at first sight. Now Herman told his folks about the girl he found, and they said, Herman, there must be other girls around. <laughs> Cause crabs walk sideways and lobsters walk straight And we won't let you take her for your mate Everybody sing now! Crabs walk sideways and lobsters walk straight And we won't let you take her for your mate Where is love? (laughs) Try singing like that. (laughs) Poor Herman and poor Sally Whence did their love whence wrong? Oh, the bittersweet pain of love's nectar. 
Yes, Herman, though he loved Sally, could not marry her, could not have her for his own. Herman was a lobster, Sally was a crab. Herman lived in a restricted neighborhood. <laughs> so he had to make a decision. And Herman made a decision which was sad and very hard for him to do. But then, being a lobster, Herman had no backbone. <laughs> Herman told Sally and it broke her heart. She had loved that lobster right from the start. He took her in his claws and said, I'll always be yours. But still, we really have to part. Sally said, let's talk to your mom and your dad. I'll show them that crabs really aren't that bad. <laughs> they turned her away, what would the neighbors say? And they laughed at the funny walk she had. Two, three, four. Crabs walk sideways and lobsters walk straight And we won't let you take her for your mate. Sing out, friends, now. Crabs walk sideways and lobsters walk straight And we won't let you take her for your mate. Once again, gang! Oh, crabs walk sideways, lobsters walk straight, and we won't let you take her for your pain. One more time now! Oh, crabs walk sideways, lobsters walk straight, and we won't let you take her for your pain. One day on a sandbar, what did Herman see? But his little old Sally walking straight as can be. He said, Sally, I can take you in my family. And she said, Herman. Don't you street at me. Crabs <laughs> <laughs> walk sideways and lobsters walk straight and we won't let you take it for your man. This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. Suffer, even if you're gonna stay. Love you 
Shine Radio for a new generation. Tom Sumner Program.com. Tom Sumner Program.com. The Tom Sumner Program.com. Well, that wraps it up for today's edition of the Tom Sumner Program. And uh, I want to say thanks to all my guests today. Um, everybody was live, everybody showed up, and it was a Monday. So, how about that? I want to say thanks first to this last hour's uh, guest, Fionn Fox Faraday, the award-winning author with a new book, uh, the first in uh, what promises to be a pretty extensive series, um, Mates of the Alliance books. Uh, this is Cairn, book one. And uh, before that, we talked with the uh, author of a, a fascinating uh, crime story from 1979 called All Along the Watchtower Murder at Fort Devens by William Craig and we started out this morning with the uh, chief legal analyst from uh, Esquire Digital and um, his name is Aaron Solomon we talked about the uh, Brittany Griner case in uh, Russia and SCOTUS and a number of other things anyway that's Smoking George so Good night, everybody. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner program. And thanks for listening.